Welcome to Reboot for Connection, the podcast dedicated to understanding connection at work. This is where we talk to leaders, communications professionals, and other subject matter experts about how organizations are now intentional about designing for connection in the workplace. Real connection to people, mission, and the work itself. We explore what can be achieved when this is approached as a strategic initiative. My name is Jürgen Abo, and this podcast is brought to you by ScreenCloud. Now, let's get into the good stuff. In my book, this man doesn't need an introduction. Uh, but for the folks who are just getting familiar, let me just say this. When it's all said and done, our guest today will be considered one of the greatest CEOs of our era. He will have transcended this beautiful world of SaaS and become recognized for helping shape a new corporate America. He's already founded five successful companies, but what really makes this guy special is how generously he's been dedicated to turning people into curious learning machines, as Charlie Munger would say, the OG, right? This man is also the host of my all-time favorite podcast, Seeking Wisdom, and he's here today to share some more knowledge. So with a heart full of gratitude, it is my pleasure to welcome the one and only DC, David Cancel. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. This has been long in the making. So this is like the buildup is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it has been some buildup. Um, so we've heard you say now almost quite famously that 99% of what makes businesses successful comes down to people. And we, we realize there's a lot in there, right? There's customers as well. But, but in that context, how do you think about you know, people feeling connected at work. What does that bring up for you? Such a, it's such a complicated topic. So, and, but a great one, especially today, like what, how do you define connected, right? Now that we've gone from this online offline combination to fully living online and the boundaries that we have to face there. But I think, you know, for me, I never, I was always someone who, and I probably still do this, compartmentalizes everything. And right, so there was like the work DC, the personal DC, there's like the personal, personal DC, the work, work DC. There was just a million different versions. And depending who you were in my life, uh, you saw one of those versions. Very few people saw uh, multiple versions, multiple slices or multiple compartments there. The more that you can expose people to your entire story and bringing your whole self to work, the more powerful you can become. That story can become powerful not only for yourself, but what I find for my for me is that you know it can help people who are in a different place, different time, different part of their career, kind of have some role model in the sense of someone that they can model uh, that looks and feels like them because the current version of of them doesn't look anything like them, meaning the person that they're aspiring to, the role model. Uh, but if they look back and say, "Oh wow, this person grew up like me," or they have the same pains as me, or they're having the same problems at home with their kids or what have you that I am it kind of builds connections and you know one thing that I've kind of learned the really 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 hard way is that that they you know that all of these lessons are the same right there's there's no personal lessons or professional lessons there's no real distinction we are at the end just people and all businesses are nothing more than a construct filled with different people and the, the dynamics between the people and how they interact and how they communicate always is changing depending on the people involved depending on the time the hit the time and place you know in the context that they're in like the history the place that we are now with this pandemic for example 
but also it constantly evolves and changes and that makes it really difficult for, um, for people to gain connection unless you start to share more and more versions of yourself. Very difficult for me because I'm naturally a, a private person. I can relate to that. I think a lot of people can, right? It's, um, it's not an easy thing, but we're recognizing more and more that that really matters when we're able to do that. Um, what are some ways that you've challenged yourself, let's say over these past few months to bring a little bit more of maybe personal DC to work? Oh man, it's tough. I think, you know, um, this, this, the, there's always silver linings on massive disruptive changes like we've gone through right now with this pandemic. I think one for me is it, it's forced me to really, you know, one, figure out my own schedule. That's the easy tactical one, but in finding my own schedule and defining it when you didn't have this boundary of the office and these hours, it really forced me to sit down and analyze the things that were important, the things that weren't important. Um, and it got me to a place of really understanding that a couple of things. One, that that this constant desire to be more productive and to do more things uh, actually wasn't that effective. And it wasn't something that I actually, deep down, that I wanted to do. I don't want to, you know, I say now, I'm like, I don't want to be more productive. I don't want to be read books on productivity and time hacks and all this kind of stuff because I don't want my life to be one where I'm constantly trying to fit more things in less time. What I want to do is figure out how to, what are the right things to do and to only act when I see those right things and find the things that have the most leverage. And a lot of those things will fail. They won't always be successful, but like if I can find the few things that I'm really good at, the few things that really have the opportunity for massive leverage and upside, and bet on those with all my energy and focus, like I'll have better results in trying to constantly running around being more productive and fitting more things and reading about checklists and all this kind of craziness. So like for me, I was already on that path, you know, I wasn't a fan of checklists and all this kind of stuff, but I, it really forced me to be like, think about do I want to be more productive uh, or not? And then that led to the second thing, which is really something that I've been thinking about for a while, but really this, this again, this forced me into this kind of thing. And a lot of transformations that are happening right now are not, for all of us and for business, are not things that are just come out of thin air. They didn't just drop from the sky. They're things that we've been mulling over and struggling for a long time. And then when you have an, an event like this, it kind of really forces you to deal with it right then. You have no choice. And so you have to deal with it. So that second one for me was, really this idea of like, it's kind of related to the first, but like that, you know, it's really the time in between the things where all the thing, all the magic happens. That it's never the, the act of doing something where you have the breakthrough, but it's the act. The act is important. It's not just thinking, not just reading, not just analyzing. You always have to default to act. You have to act, act, act over and over again. But it is the time in between those actions where you really have those breakthroughs because that's when all the different activities that you're doing, all the different things that you're reading and thinking about, all the different experiences that you're having, all can come together and can like ferment in your brain and really, you know, come together. And that's when you have those breakthroughs, those ideas, those really, those things that can lead your personal growth and professional growth to the next level. Nice, thank you for that. Um, I'm curious with you being pretty active outside of drift for people like myself, fans, you know, um, how much, how much of that really kind of penetrates internally? How much is consumed 
Um, and what are you doing on top of that? Because to, to an outsider, you being way more active than, than a lot of leaders, right? Your mm -hmm. podcast posts, just sharing stuff all the time. Um, yep. What's the effect of that internally? And, and is there even something else on top of it internally? I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more on that. <laughs> That's kind of like part of it. Um, but I, you know, the part that kind of makes it onto the outside, but for me, from the very beginning of, of drift, you know, the most, one of the things that we built the company around was the very quote that you mentioned from, Charlie Munger, the OG of OGs, right? And someone that I look up to and talk a lot about, which is this idea of becoming a learning machine, of each approaching each day with only one thing, which is not to use someone else as your reference point, not to like aspire to be like the next person, but to look at your own self, your own performance, and to think, how do I today get just a little bit better than I was the day before? Not massive, just a little bit. So that whole like, idea of this being just inch by inch and if you do that over a long enough period of time then one day you will look back and you would have made this amazing amount of progress but it's when you're doing it it feels almost imperceptible it's so small but you have to be deliberate deliberate about it and so you know for us we built this idea around the company of like look we want every single person in the company to be a, their own learning machine for them to be naturally curious for them to be the type of person that wants to continue to learn and become a different version of themselves. That's a very easy thing to say. It's very hard, right? The people, there are very few people that actually want that. There are people who think about that, they may talk about that, but there are very few people who actually want to live that every single day because that is being putting yourself in a constant state of discomfort. Because the learning process is trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. That gets older over time if you're not the right person who's geared for that. And there's nothing wrong with not being geared for that. You just have to be this kind of person. So they have to be their personal learning machine and that we as a, an organization need to be this giant collective learning machine. And that, that and our proximity to the customer, our type of customer would be the entire basis of the company. And the products and the services, offerings, this, that, whatever, those things will change over time. But as long as we stay true to our type of customer and wanting to serve them, and each of us be our own little learning machines and collectively be this big learning machine, then we can continue to basically build uh, this organization that continues to evolve every single day with every single experience that happens, not only within the building or within the company, but you know, outside of it because we're learning from all different people and modalities and, and all sorts of stuff. So like, that's the basis of starting the company. And so we built everything around that. So we, because of that, we have, some stuff that we share on the outside. We have internal newsletters and videos and, uh, you know, speakers. And, you know, we're always doing these different things and having, you know, like our event, which when we did have a physical event was really around learning from others and, um, you know, getting better by having those role models and mentors and all those kind of things. All the things that we talked about, we talked about externally really came from this desire of wanting to build this internal learning machine. So on top of all that stuff that comes out, there's a whole bunch of other things that we experiment and we do internally. And the best of it, I think, makes it to the outside. And then the worst of it, you know, goes away or we retry it at a future date. The worst of it. Can't imagine it being <laughs> that bad, but um, a, a humble man. So th there are a few things in there that I'd like to, to stay, stay on. One, though, is this idea of being as customer-centric as I know you are. 
I recently rewatched a video. Um, you had a conversation with Clay Collins. Oh yeah. And, and you had you had for once you had written down some notes about the 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 DC test for being customer centric, which was so refreshing because if there's one thing we've heard from companies over the past several years is oh you know we are really customer centric. We put customers first and you know, that's what we care about. And then you set the bar incredibly high there. Um, I, I think there's an obvious answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, with you being that focused on the customer and you think of servant leadership as all the mm -hmm. way from the top through the organization to the customer, I have to believe that means people feeling even more connected to their work and to their mission. And I'm just wondering if you can elaborate a little bit on how that shows up. Like, what's that case study of having a, a staff that's so connected because mm -hmm. you're focused on being customer centric? I think um, that's a, no one's ever asked me that question. So it's an interesting one. So I think the, it, the answer is um, complicated. The answer is that although it is an amazing guardrail and what we look for and what we train for and what we live at Drift, it's almost like the, the, my answer earlier of us being uncomfortable. It's actually a pretty uncomfortable position for people to be in all the time. And that being one where they defer to the customer and that they're, they think of themselves always as in service of that customer. And that leads to the, and we do that because one, that's the only reason a business should exist. That's the only reason businesses exist, although we lose sight of that. Two, because we think if we do that, it creates this guardrail where the right things will happen, the incentives will be properly aligned for those individuals and for us as a company, if we stay true to the customer. And then third, of course, we, we think it leads to better um, performance for the customer, better experience, and ultimately a, a more valuable company. But the reality is like on a day-to-day -day basis, it's kind of super painful experience for people because you're deferring, you know, you're, you're deferring the decision-making outside of yourself which in some ways it's easier. For me, I find it easier because it causes me not to make more mistakes That because I'm tired of, of making all my own mistakes. So, you know, I want to I use an outside litmus test, not just my own gut in, in a lot of cases. But for a lot of people in the company, it's painful because they're basically pushing down their own ego, right? Their own ego's desire to want to do something, their own you know, their own ideas, their own, you know, way to manifest that ego and their, and, and the things that they think, think about or want to work on. And so like, it's hard because you are really truly living that word service or in our case servant, right? And so to constantly put yourself in a servant position uh, is hard for people. And so it takes time, it takes energy, it is the right thing, it leads to right behaviors and I wouldn't do it any other way. Uh, but on a day-to-day -day basis, it doesn't always feel great. Just like, you know, the kind of work that you do, like on yourself, knowing and interacting with you for a very long time now, is not easy. It's kind of painful. Not many people want to do that. A lot of your friends and a lot of colleagues and a lot of people you may meet online like me may want to tell you that they want to do that. But on a day-to-day -day basis, no, very few people want to do that. It's kind of like the difference between your friends who play basketball and, and you know, a world-class uh, NBA all-star player who plays basketball. The definitions are very different of who wants to put the work in every single day when it's painful and not give up. The two may like basketball, they may be interested in it, but uh, 
but the results are very different. Side note, you're giving me too much credit. I am such a work in progress. I'm, I'm just, I'm just a dad of two trying to make some shit work. Um, I really am, but thank you. That's, uh, that means a lot. Well, so am I. Yeah. Well, so am I, when people tell me, I'm just like, oh, you know, but someday I'm like, I think I'm like, I think I'm pretty dumb, pretty lazy and, you know, trying to figure things out. But like, but I'm trying to do what Charlie Munger has, has told us, which is, and taught us, which is try to be a little bit better than myself. And I've done that over a career and I've figured out like, by do, being a little better than myself each every every day just a little bit uh by reading a little bit more doing a little bit more thinking a little bit more taking more time to process things like that it's really added up over time but yeah in terms of like raw intelligence and and raw uh motivation it's very low humble man um the there are a lot of favorite dc lessons for me but one mm -hmm recent one that um that really is changing the game i think for a lot of people i've heard you talk about a couple of times is you're basically out here teaching people how to read and what <laughs> i mean by that is uh, is of course not so literally but um i think you know i was just crippled for too long feeling this pressure that i have to finish a book to say that i've read it you know that i have mm -hmm. to make this chore um, that I have to sit down for a few hours at a time, you know, and it just gets in the way. Um, so just personally very grateful for that because I mean, I'm, I'm right now I'm on a 15 minutes every morning kind of thing. Cause that's, that's what I, that's what I got. Even when I wake up mm -hmm. at five, like that's what I got, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one note couple of digressions here we'll probably edit this out i think that's the just on that part i think uh sorry to interrupt you but but I, but I wanted to emphasize it because i think it's been one of the biggest personal breakthroughs that i've had and sharing it has led uh, to a, lo a lot of other people kind of commenting on how big that's been for them and so like my, for me i want to emphasize it because that is such a big shift in my own life of moving from this world of where i almost developed this kind of just like you, this kind of tilt. I, for me, I attribute, I think rightly or wrongly, it was, it was because of uh, the way that we were taught or forced to, to read in school of memorization and being forced to read subjects that you may not be interested in. And, and, and that's my own personal experience. I'm sure I'm wrong in a lot of ways, but like the, for me, that kind of beat the joy out of reading. Even though I was someone who was obsessed with reading as a little kid, it beat the reading out of me. And it took me a long, 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 long time, an embarrassing length of time to really figure out that this idea of like, well, there has to be a different way to read. Like reading doesn't only have to be forcing yourself from read from page one to the last page of the book, that you didn't have to read in this serial fashion, like read one book at a time. And only when you finish that book that you could, you move to the next one, and that there were no rules behind this and that no one was measuring you. There was no test. And like, really the idea was again, to become this idea machine. And by doing so, the best way to do it in terms of books was to read, for me at least, was to read multiple books at the same time for those things to kind of ferment and synthesize over time and not force yourself into this idea of reading one at a time in a kind of this linear fashion. And that brought the joy back to reading for me, right? And I was able to share that and uh, and move with people and able to move from like never reading to 
you know, I'm, kind of, I'm reading at least 10 books at a time at this given time. I'm reading this one right now. Highly recommend from an old friend, Naval. Mm. Yeah, fantastic book. But like, yeah, I can reach all around me in those books constantly in every crevice uh, surrounding me. And I had to learn it out of necessity as well because I was in the same situation as you when my kids were really young. I didn't have any time to read. If I got 15 minutes of time by getting up super early in the morning, that was a lot. And I couldn't feel guilt just by, just because I only had 15 minutes to spend with a book or two books uh, during that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, thank you. Thank you, really. It's great on behalf of so many others too. I mean, that's, that's big time. Thanks right there. Um, you know, there, there are so many places I want to go, so I want to be uh, a little mindful of, uh, of time here. But um, fans of, of Seeking Wisdom um, will, have, will have heard you talk about rituals adrift quite a bit, right? Like mm -hmm. rituals, rituals, Monday mm -hmm. metrics, you know, Friday show and tell, uh, you know, that's what it, what it seems like. What, has that changed this year? Have the rituals changed or has the effect of it or has what what else you've had to do around them like anything at all kind of change in this crazy world uh, definitely and so for those of you who are listening seeking wisdom was is a podcast that i started uh, uh probably a number of years now and that it was kind of on a hiatus for a while and i've recently brought it back but i would share a lot of these kind of things that we were learning internally and one of the topics that we talked about was this idea, probably a few times on the podcast, was the idea of rituals in the context of a company and how important they were and how they were different from a meeting and that you needed these rituals, just like you needed these rituals in any community in order for people to have things to rely on and to, and to know and have security of like, this is the time when we're going to come together. This is the time when I'm going to learn X, Y, or Z. And we have two we have a lot of rituals at Drift that are two that, that I talk about externally, which is like we have this every Monday we come together as an entire team for half an hour max. And we do something called Monday Metrics. And it's led by this guy, Will, who started four years ago at Drift. So pretty early on, we're a little over five years old now. And it's basically, as the name implies, the metrics from each functional area for the week, new employee celebrations, a bunch of things like that. And, uh, and it's a super lively, not boring, you know, the bar is high kind of meeting and it's constantly evolving. That one probably evolved, um, had to evolve a lot less during the shift to this pandemic because we already had that in a very tight format. And then we have my favorite uh, ritual, which is coming up tomorrow. Uh, we're, filming, we're recording this on a Thursday. So Friday, every Friday, at three o'clock, we have this meeting and that, that is the end of the week. So we end the week after that meeting, which probably ends a little bit before four o'clock. And people um, call, call in or, you know, from all the different offices back when we had offices, but now from their homes. And we have this around an hour long meeting, which is called show and tell. And this idea originated at my last company where I did it only within the product and development organization as a way for that team to communicate to the rest of the company, everything that they were working on, especially important for a product team where things can seem so opaque, right? On what they're actually working on, what they actually accomplished this week. And so we, we learned that that was an amazing ritual there. We moved it to Drift when we started the company and we did it for the entire company versus just the product team. And the entire company comes together and this has been a self and is a self-organizing meeting. None of us, None of the founders or the executives have anything to do with running this meeting. 
that we do not run this meeting. The only time that we are involved in the meeting is that we have a question and answer at the end. If there are questions that they wanna ask, some of us may, may speak, like I'll speak usually on some of those questions, but otherwise each of the functional teams create their own presentations as competitions internally for who presents. Uh, there's a competition in the meeting for, you know, and there's awards given, again, they've created this all on their own. I don't even know how it works, but like on who gets voted up the most of the best presentation of the week. It's a super high energy, super fun meeting. Uh, it's really funny. We have an amazing MC, Matt Pilati, who started with the company as, you know, five years ago now, right at the beginning, maybe a little bit over that. And he keeps it super lively and they continue to evolve and morph that meeting. And it's evolved a lot during this pandemic as we move from those offices to those individuals calling in because we had to rep uh, replicate the same level of energy that we had when we were in the office. And they've come up with lots of different ways. Again, I can't take credit for any of it because I'm, I'm just a spectator and I'm the last to see, see it on every Friday. And so like, I don't even know how it comes together, but they continue to level this up. But that can only happen when you create that environment in the beginning of creating these rituals, creating this sense of ownership, creating this sense that they can do anything and fail and they can fail without there being any repercussion as long as, and this is a big asterisk, as long as they are learning from their failures. It is not okay to continue to learn to fail in any environment if you do not learn from past failures. So for me, as long as I see that they're learning, they can continue to fail and fail and fail. Some of those failures are pretty costly. Some of them, most of them don't cost anything, but like as long as we learn, which goes back to this idea of the learning machines. Got it. Yeah, thanks for that insight. That's that's helpful because obviously a lot of stuff has been disrupted. Um, on a lighter note, but staying with seeking wisdom, going back a little bit, I'm I'm curious, um, where are you with uh, hashtag plant based right now? <laughs> that's funny. I'm a hashtag intermittent fast, don't eat except for one meal, and uh, and in terms of plant based, I'm not fully plant based at this point, but I'm probably like uh 80% i'd say 80% plant based wow. at this point 80 90 yeah pretty high don't that, that is high yeah, yeah that's how's the how long have you been doing the intermittent fasting i feel like that's probably been a while right oh long time yeah. probably 3 years now i would guess yeah. something like that what year yeah it's about 3 years now so pretty early in the intermittent fasting thing uh yeah. there were only a few crazy people talking about it back then and uh, love it. for me, it's it's just the easiest because I wasn't naturally hungry in the morning, and it's the easiest thing to do versus every other style of eating that I try. Yeah. Do you do lunch or dinner? Dinner. Yeah. Dinner. Mm -hmm. That's the meal. With the yeah, family. because if I if I do lunch, uh, once I eat, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Once I eat, I can't turn off the eating, right? So like wow. if I did if I did lunch, then I couldn't I couldn't just only do lunch. Yeah. There were some early episodes when you were kind of talking about this and there's just so much interesting stuff around food and how we, what we've been conditioned to think about it. And, oh my gosh, if you only ate once a day, you would just, you know, die. Right. Like it's, it's mm -hmm. so absurd. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I won't, won't get into my thing, but yeah, big on uh, intermittent fasting for sure. Uh, <laughs> so um, on, on a different note, um, I do think that this, this thing that I've heard you talk about a little bit around mm -hmm. corporate America and the future of it, and mm -hmm. 
you know, I don't know how explicit you've really been, but I feel like I'm picking up uh, on the mission of Drift perhaps evolving into mm -hmm. something more than just serving its customers. Can you talk about your long-term vision for Drift in the context of it being a force for good and or it just impacting the business world overall? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, one of our goals from the beginning of the company, and it's funny, we had a our Q4 company meeting just right before this. So literally half hour before we started talking, uh, where we started to talk about this as well, because it's one of our, one of our goals, which is like to try to become the new face for corporate America when it comes to diversity. And, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting time for this to be a goal, right? Obviously through all that we're going through, but like it really stems from this idea of, of Elias and myself, Elias being from Nicaragua, uh, myself half Puerto Rican, half Ecuadorian, so we're both Latinx. And, you know, us growing up in a very, very different time than today, right? We didn't have Instagram, we didn't have Google, we didn't have LinkedIn, we didn't have any access to any of these things. And because of that, we didn't have an easy way for ourselves to find role models, right? I, you know, I didn't have a role model that looked like me, sounded like me, or not, not even didn't I not have that role model in person, but I didn't even know of or could find of, of one, even if they lived, you know, across the world. Uh, so it was just something that we couldn't do. And then when we started Drift, it was very important to both of us that we have this uh, privilege now that we can reach all these people and that we can through all those different channels that I mentioned and others that we can become a role model for future uh, generations uh, and show them that it's possible to do some of the things that we've been able to do and hope and I and my goal is that they do you know 100x what any of us could do and it's super important because one of the most important ways that we all learn is through is from modeling right the we can simulate uh, based on if we if we can model on an example and so you know if they can for me I kind of had this happen in my own career accidentally. I always say I'm the kind of Forrest Gump of, and you'd have to, most of the people listening to this are too young to understand what Forrest Gump is. It was an old movie. And in this movie, it's basically a tale of this, this man who continues to have this unreal set of adventures that he just keeps accidentally stumbling, stumbling upon, right? All these big, important moments in history. And for myself, I feel like I lived a, a different version of that, which is I kept stumbling myself into different peer groups who I always felt were, you know, 100x beyond what I could do. And every time I would stumble into that group, then after a number of years, I would find out that I would average up to the capability of that group. And then for one reason or another, I would stumble into another group that was 100x beyond that. And then I would average up and I kept averaging up. And what I was doing was I was modeling. I was simulating because I saw role models. I saw that it was possible. And I got to peek behind the curtain and say, that person is just a human. They're smart, but they're not 100x smarter than I am. And so like I can do probably most of the things that they can do. That's a really, really, really important concept that I wish I would have known a lot earlier. And so we're trying to help people a lot earlier, you know, high school age, middle school age, mm -hmm. and, and of course, college and, and older, help those people by providing a role model so that they can simulate and they can say like, if this dummy DC can do it and he looks like me, talks like me, then I'm going to do 100x that he can do. And that would be the, the, the best thing that could happen in my opinion.
that's great. Um, one thing that I was also thinking about going into this conversation was, um, and it goes a little bit back to your experience at HubSpot. I think mm -hmm. I heard you in one talk say something about, you know, it was a bit of a bloodbath. There was a lot of people that, you know, had, had to leave. And um, one of the challenges with growth is, of course, you know, some people move on, some mm -hmm. things have to change, change is incredibly hard. What was a fit may not be a fit anymore. It isn't personal, like all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, whether it's in a pure hyper growth kind of mode or just in larger companies where things do mm -hmm. change and people do move on, um, what do you do to counter a potential like feeling of less connection and just how especially perhaps younger people might feel when those things are mm -hmm. happening around them? Are you mm -hmm. proactively managing against that, so to speak? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, one of the benefits that I've had um, throughout my career is that I've worked in so many different companies relative to other people who have worked as long as I have through all these different stages of growth and sometimes hyper growth and sometimes hyper decline. And so, like, I've seen all these different versions compressed into a very small period of time. And because of that, I've been able to experience, you know, the, the whiplash and the turmoil and all the stuff associated with it and people coming, people leaving and people being upset and people being happy and people just like all these different versions. And, and what you start to see over time and learn is that, that there, you know, throughout the lifespan of a company, throughout the lifespan of a person's career, that there is a context that you have to realize that that company or that person is in and that company you know, in the, in a simple example, in the, you know, one to like one employee to like 10 employee phase will attract a certain type of person who is good with things being ambiguous with, you know, self-starting with not having a playbook with, with not having a manager with having to create something out of nothing. Like it will naturally attract those people. And sometimes it will attract people who are, you know, come from a diff very different structured environment and then there'll be a mismatch. Right. But like, naturally will weed out and will attract a certain type of person. Now, if that company continues to grow, like in the case of Drift and we're 400 and some odd employees, we're obviously we're in a different context and obviously we start to hire for a different skill set. Doesn't mean necessarily that all those people that were there in the beginning can't translate over to this new context. Most of them do, but there are going to be some percentage of people that naturally will either elect on their own or, or, will elect or we'll talk about it together and maybe the company will elect and say like, they're not ready for this next phase, right? The person who's going to take us from 450 people to a thousand people probably has a different set of needs and different set of wants and likes than the person who wanted to come in at this phase, right? This is about scaling up and this is about repeating things. There's still innovation. There's still room for that, but there's, it's a very different look. And, you know, I think for most of us, we never were taught this, or at least I wasn't, maybe it is somewhere now. And so we, we always had this kind of like disconnect of like, why is it not working this time? And why, why, people, why is this person no longer here? Why are they leaving to go back to a small company when we're growing? It's because they may have a skill set or a desire to be in that phase or to, to have that kind of loose, you know, um, kind of loose organization, or they might come from a big company and also say the opposite and say like that they like structure and they want to be able to, 
to work in this environment. There's nothing wrong with any of this. And what we've done at Drift is to help normalize this internally and to talk about it all the time and to explain at every single, you know, meeting, monthly meeting, but now their quarterly meeting to talk about this just proactively so that it, it helps desensitize people a little bit and to understand, oh, this is normal. People will come and people will go, people will stay and everything in between. And some people will come and they will uh, go and they will come back, right? And so like all these different versions will happen. But the important thing is to be upfront about it, to understand that it's happening, to treat everyone with dignity and respect, and to understand that this world that we operate is really small and that we really have to treat people well and hire the right people because you will see those people again. I always say like, you know, I learned this kind of pretty quickly. Like there are people from the beginning of my career of 1996 who I haven't seen since probably 1998. Uh, I will see them again and have seen them again, right? People that you moved across the world and you don't remember them, you will come across them again. You will see them again. I guarantee you that. Uh, and so act accordingly. Act accordingly. Treat them the way that you would want to be treated, the golden rule, because you will see those people again in your career and you can uh, only win and benefit by acting uh, in the right way. Yeah, that's great. Hey, um, Drift has obviously built one hell of a brand. Um, no mm -hmm. question about it. Um, and I'm curious, probably again, an obvious answer here, but what does that do to the internal connections, right? Like how do, how do people, whether they're coming in fresh or already been there for four years, what does that do to, um, to make people really feel connected? And by the way, like, where do you stand on employer brand? Like, is that, is that a thing? Like, <laughs> what do you Meaning think? Employee that? brands like micro brands? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I guess what I'm thinking about is like the idea of a brand for the outside world. And then the idea of brand for your people, like, isn't it just brand? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it's just brand. But it's just, I think the one, you know, like employer branding and, you know, company branding to me are the same thing. I think the only distinction might be some of the activities that you do, like employer branding. Like we have someone on the team that focuses on that now. And uh, she, her name is Caitlin. She is spending a lot of time using different communication methods and maybe a different level of communication, meaning more detailed for people internally than we would externally. Although, you know, Drift is kind of, super open um from a brand from a corporate brand standpoint and so like we we try to share most of those lessons but there's always going to be a level of detail that's pretty different and more importantly there's going to be different channels that that gets communicated against so i think you know the company brand has we built the that was probably the second pillar that we built the company around about this idea of building a global brand not a software brand not a tech brand not a boston brand not a san francisco brand just but uh, one that is just a global brand because we believe deeply in that that is what we need to do in order to win for our customers in this next you know in this next generation of solutions and offerings and software that we operate in today right this version of the market but you know i think the brand is something that is, is obviously evolves and is made up of individuals and people. And so we've also encouraged our employees to develop their own brands. And many people will see past and present uh, Drift employees with their own micro brands and, and developing their own brands. And some of those people will go off and just focus on that. And we think that's 
great because we will have, you know, benefited from the growth of their brand while they were with us, but we also want them to continue to flourish and continue to build their own personal brands. I think every company should be thinking in that way that you should be encouraging your, your team to create their own personal brands, which is so important today in this world. And, um, and to not think of those things as in competition with your corporate brand. Yeah, I bet folks are truly grateful for that. I mean, there's still someone, some folks that are lagging behind in that department quite tremendously, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it's such a such a relief. Yeah, I, I did want to ask you along those lines of, and it's really interesting that, you know, employer brand is really about taking a different tactical approach to maybe communicating, et cetera. And so where are you guys at with, with channels? Over the years, I've heard you talk about, of course, we've all talked about Slack overload and then going back to email and all this stuff. Now with every channel that we could possibly use being completely saturated, right? Like where's DC right now, Q4 2020 on channels? Mm. <laughs> I'm so over channels, you know, like I, I'm so over all the channels. Um, you know, there is a version of me. So I've spent a lot of time in kind of social media channels, right? Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera, all of these different things and new ones that emerge, TikTok, other things like that. Uh, but there is, you know, a big part of me that really is focuses on that because that's, that's the way to benefit the company. But I could as easily be gone from all those channels tomorrow and not think about it again. And so like, and uh, those people that really know me know that that's, that I could, be a light switch just like that and turn off all those things immediately. Uh, but they're important for the the bigger kind of corporate brand that we're building. And so, you know, I'm there and I'm active and I'm participating. And I think there's a benefit that I get out of learning from other people uh, selfishly through those channels. But, you know, now what channels am I thinking about? I think so little about channels right now. And I think so much about hooks and storytelling and kind of positioning and categories and stuff like that, basically answering the question of like, why now, why us, you know, what are we, what are we doing? What are we building? And why are we, why specifically are we building that thing and who benefits from that thing? Those, but those bigger kind of like story blocks is where I spend. And, and it has to do obviously a lot with the phase of growth that we're in at Drift, but like I was spending time in those, even in the early days when we, when we weren't growing and we didn't even have a product. Those are the important things to really focus and spend your energy on. Those are the things that will never change, that are non-negotiable, that the channels will come and go. And those are just methods that you can get your message out. I think, you know, like we as an industry spend too much time obsessing over optimizing channels, selecting channels and what to do. And, you know, I'm trying to spend as little time as possible. I barely spend any time in Slack these days. We have very, very active Slack uh, instance at Drift and Slack is a fantastic and great customer of ours. And so I love everything they're doing, but like for me, I can't, we, we have too many people, too many conversations, too many threads going on for me to really add any value for what I'm trying to do from my role at Drift. And so I don't really spend time in there. You know, the only way to, to get access to me is text messages or WhatsApp messages. You know, I barely, I don't read email. I don't answer phone calls unless I know who it is. Um, although I am going back and back, back more to phone calls now in the age of zoom, because I've gotten so much video fatigue from having, you know, video 
video audio chats where everything doesn't need to be that. And, you know, I'm trying to find time to again, be outside, be out there. And so I've defaulted back to old school telephone calls so that I can actually go for a walk and, and think and have a, a conversation while I'm doing, while I'm walking around, enjoying uh, the, the nice weather while we have it here in Boston. So really it's like text messages and phone calls is pretty much the only way that I communicate these days. And only when I do a podcast like this one, do I, do I even open up Zoom, but I know that I'm unusual. Well, thank you for, uh, for, for making an exception for us. Appreciate that. <laughs> hey, I took, um, I took three more minutes than I was supposed oh, to. Yeah. I was supposed to. Uh, thank you, DC, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Really, man. Thank you so, so much. Um, I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you for this. Unfortunately, I gotta, I'm late for another call. So I wish am we I. could talk longer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank, thank you, you very dude. much, DC. Much love. All right. Take care. Bye. See yeah. you. Thank you so much for listening. It's my sincere hope you found something you can apply towards greater connection in your work life. If so, an honest review would certainly be welcomed. Reboot for Connection is brought to you by ScreenCloud. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we'd be honored if you subscribe to this one. You may also email us at reboot at screencloud.com with any reactions or ideas you might have for us. Hope to catch you again next time.